Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and this week's episode features Chicago-based shoe artist Dylan DeJesus. I really enjoyed chatting with Dylan about a painting subject that I knew absolutely nothing about. It became very apparent how little I knew about this industry the more he talked about it, and I'm so excited to share this insight with you too. This interview emphasizes the benefits of really diving deep into research and technique within one niche. I often feel like a jack-of-all-trades, which has its benefits, but this chat shines a light on the pros of becoming a master in one area. Dylan has leaned into, or rather he's dove head first into the shoe slash sports slash painting industry and combined them all and it is serving him really well. With a customer roster of several NFL players, the dude knows his stuff when it comes to designing custom sneakers. So let me know what you think about this week's episode with Dylan DeJesus. Hey there, I'm here with Dylan DeJesus, and we're going to be talking about your very unique art business in customizing sneakers. Is that how you describe your your art business? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, you know, I think that that falls in line with it. You know, it's always kind of a, a funny topic of how would you explain this to somebody if you were in an Uber? What do you actually do? And yeah, I'm an artist and my main sort of canvas happens to be sneakers. And that started just because sneakers were a passion of mine, collecting them and uh, just wanted to create something different than everybody else had. You know what I mean? And that's really just where I was able to combine two passions, art and uh, sneakers. You know, my background was in architecture. I went to school to study architecture. I only had one plan my entire life, and that was to be an architect growing up here in Chicago. My father was a trade show carpenter, so really had to bust his ass growing up. And he said, you know, Dylan, I want you to use your brain when you're older rather than doing this manual labor that I have to do. So he really pushed me into a uh, career of wanting to be an architect. He said, you know, I want you to be the guy that we work for and stuff. So funny enough, that was really all I ever planned to do. And then when I got into college, I had to take a painting class. And it was really, I think like the first semester was... uh, doing a lot of watercolor paintings. And I really hadn't done a ton of painting. Even when I was in high school, I didn't take any art classes because I was just focusing on drafting classes and things getting me ready for architecture school since I knew that was my plan. So when picking my electives, always skipped art from junior high on. You know what I mean? So I missed out on some development with painting early on and drawing. So I'm not really much of a, uh, I'm not really much of a drawer or too much of a painter outside of on shoes, funny enough. And so that's how it all sort of started for me. That's awesome. I feel like we're we're very similar in that way. When I went to college, they were like, what do you like to do? And I'm like, well, I like to paint and stuff, but I want to do, you know, something that makes money. So they made me take a painting (laughs) class and I was like, this is so pointless, whatever. But yeah, it started that thought of, oh, this is fun. This is way more yeah. fun. Than yeah. Than- and I can't even say I enjoyed the class, like watercolor painting. I haven't done any watercolor painting since, but funny enough, all it did was instill in me. Yeah. I have some paintbrushes. Yeah. I've held a paintbrush recently. Maybe I could do this. You know what I mean? So without that, I think it might've been, ah, I have to go buy all these supplies. Who knows what paintbrushes to get? Who knows what paints to use? And I didn't use the correct stuff early on. 
but at least I just had those supplies nearby where I was like, okay, yeah, I've, I've been in an art store recently. I'll be fine just picking up whatever else I need to complete the shoes. Yeah. So we have a, an artist caddy member and, and my friend Buffy. She's mm-hmm. been painting with me several times. So she's in North Carolina. I'm in Missouri and she's come here twice to come and paint with me. That's awesome. So yeah, but she was raving about your shoe painting event. Of course. Was- yeah. We call it a course. So we call okay. it the uh, the DCF experience. It's a three-day course that we do here in Chicago. And um, it's really funny because the course really stemmed from being on YouTube. And so when I started YouTube, taking it seriously, probably about five years ago now, we had the idea of, you know what, we have this art studio here in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, and we're constantly doing cool projects. We have, we were right down the street from where the Chicago Bears play. And we said, you know what, we constantly have athletes coming in our studio. Why don't we just try to like document some of this? It'll be kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like, I think people might be interested in this because I know I would have been as, a, as an artist, as a sneaker artist seeing this. So we said, let's show a little bit of, you know, behind the scenes or whatnot. And quickly we realized after the first few videos, people were just asking, hey, how do you do this? What are the supplies you're using? Hey, at timestamp 534 there, what was that technique that you did? So we said, okay, the feedback, the engagement we're getting seems to be people want to know more about this craft. Why don't we try to actually like put out maybe some tutorial videos, see what that does? And that just really accelerated our growth. And we saw, oh, okay, there's a hunger for this. People want to learn about this. And I knew that because when I started, there was no YouTube tutorials. There wasn't anything. I'm sure it's like this in a lot of other industries, but it's changed over time. But it was way more doggy dog when I started in terms of if you asked an artist that you looked up to, hey, how do you do this? What are you using? It was, no, you got to figure it out, trial and error. You know what I mean? And so that's what I thought it was for a long time because I watched people around me who started at the same time reach out to other artists who were early pioneers in the industry and people just weren't sharing the trade secrets. So I thought that's what you were supposed to do. But then I realized as we were starting this whole YouTube thing, what have I got to lose of sharing these secrets? I wish I want to be the resource that I didn't have when I started out. I could have saved myself a lot of trial and error, a lot of money, a lot of headache and let's help people. And, uh, the tutorial thing on YouTube just really, really grew for us. And a couple years after that, after doing a lot of videos, people started asking, would you ever consider doing a course? And um, it was the furthest thing from my mind because I just, I I didn't view myself as, as a teacher in any way, as wanting to do that. But many, many people were asking. So we said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's see what we can do. Let's try to create something that would be fun for everybody because we knew based off of our engagement with the YouTube videos, we're talking to people who have a wide range of expertise within this craft. So we're constantly being discovered by new people who are completely wet behind the ears and don't know the first thing. You know what I mean? They have no idea what what to use. And then we're also talking to people who maybe have been doing it for a few years, but haven't fully turned it into a business yet. You know what I mean? It's been a little bit more of a hobby. So how can we create something that works for everybody, for all these different skill levels in one weekend? And that's something that I'm still refining over time. We've done five of them now. 
Buffy just attended the fifth one here in Chicago. I view myself as somebody who likes to never stop learning too. So I'm constantly just taking feedback and refining it every time, trying to make every single course better than the last one. And I think that we've successfully done that and it continues to get better and better. So I'm really excited for the future of it. Yeah, she was talking all about how there was just so much more to it than she had thought. And i that's why I wanted to ask you because I think of doing sneakers. I've never painted shoes before, but I was like, oh, you just slapped some fabric paint on there. and But that's not it. So can you talk us a little bit about your process of painting these shoes? Certainly, yes. Yeah. So funny enough that I, I loved hearing you say what you thought the process might be. I would say, truth be told, less than 10% of the most common shoes you'll see in the market our fabric to the point where you would actually use some type of fabric paint. Almost all of the shoes, 90% of the custom shoes you see are leather shoes. So this is an Air Force One. It's an all leather shoe. And that is way more common than just your traditional fabric shoe. You know, you might be referring to something like a pair of slip-on vans where those are canvas and you would paint those differently than you would leather. But really a huge, huge amount of the custom shoes sold are done on leather shoes and leather has to be prepped a certain way. We use a paint from a company called Angelus. They're out in California and they have a specific line that's of leather paint that's, you know, made to, to work with it so that the shoe can still flex and breathe and hold up to creasing and all of that type of stuff. So yeah, the process is a lot different than I think somebody like yourself, a traditional artist or who's worked in a lot of other mediums might think of, let me just hop into painting a pair of shoes and let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I've done that several times. Somebody has asked me to paint something and I'm like, oh, I'll just use my latex paint that I use yeah. for murals and slap it on there. I'm like, oh no, I can't do that on concrete or no, no, yeah. I can't do that. So that's, that's probably the mistake yeah. I would have made. Um, yeah. So you've had some pretty cool customers in the past. I saw maybe some NFL players. Can you brag on yourself a little bit, please? Well, that's never fun to do, but of course. <laughs> so to- yeah, we've been working with doing cleats for NFL players for probably close to 10 years now. I'd say so it's cool. really it's really accelerated in the last six, seven years where the guidelines have really loosened up and what players can wear and there's far less restrictions and uh, the players and the artists can get a lot more creative with it. Whereas before it was, you know, hey, it has to be really traditional team colorway or even still 60% of the shoe has to be black or white, even if the team colors are green and yellow or whatever the case is. So it's really ramped up. And now we have multiple players per year who get a new pair every single week, all 17 weeks of the season. The NFL introduced this My Cause, My Cleats campaign, I want to say seven years ago. And that's where on week 13 of every year, the players are allowed to wear a cleat that represents a charity. And um, every year it's sort of grown within the NFL, how much they're promoting it on TV and stuff and the amount of players that are doing it a huge, huge percentage of players in the league are now wearing a really cool pair of custom cleats on week 13. So if you happen to turn on the broadcast on week 13, which is usually early December, you're going to see some crazy color cleats hit the field. And it's all for charity, so it's for a good cause. And so that's been really cool. I think for the last five years, I've done a huge majority of the Chicago Bears, which is my hometown team, been a huge sports fan my whole life. So that's definitely like, a, we'll never get old. We'll always be weird heading up to where the Bears practice, Hallis Hall. 
and delivering cleats to the players, meeting with the players beforehand, talking about their ideas. Like it's these things where as an artist, I'm sure you experience this, everybody does. It's just really, really, really hard to stop and smell the roses, especially in this grind culture that we have of never stopping that you almost, you know, now when you ask me, reflect on players you've worked with in the past, it sounds so much cooler, but you just never stop to think in the moment of how cool it is, you know? And sometimes you probably have these projects where it's really hard. You're working against a tight deadline. You're stressed out to the max. But these are the types of things when you were younger and earlier in your career, you wished you had the opportunity to tackle. You know what I mean? I can't wait for the day I have to stay up for almost three nights in a row to finish a project because it's for a dream client or a dream project. Or, you know, I'm actually getting paid what I deserve finally as an artist. You know, these are the things you dream about early on. So to finally get there, although it's hard to stop and smell the roses, it's important to do that sometimes. So yeah, I've worked with some really cool players, like I said, done a huge amount of the Bears every year or so, and the Jaguars as well, Jacksonville. And, uh, very early on, now a, a huge superstar in the NFL, Devontae Adams, when he was with the Packers, his first few years in the league, we did his cleats every single week. That was really cool. Now he's officially signed with Jordan Brand. So he gets custom cleats directly from Jordan every single oh. week, which is insane. He's a huge, huge player in the league. So that would sort of be probably the big household name that most people would know for anybody familiar with the NFL that we worked with for a long time. Very cool. Okay, wait, wait. So there's, you're telling me so many things that I don't know, but this is such a, a benefit from niching down and really diving into this rather than an artist like myself who does this and that, and then we'll maybe get asked to do shoes every once in a while. You're deep into this is what I'm hearing. And you know so much about the sports combined with the shoes and just everything. This is, it's just really cool to hear it from somebody who's so passionate about it and who's been doing it for a while. Yeah, I really am lucky because like I said, I've been a huge sports fan my entire life. I was born in 92, so I was born during the Jordan era. So I know, although I was too young to really experience the championships, I have plenty of stories with my dad of sitting on his lap, watching, you know, all six, all uh, well, I was born during the second one. So all five next championships that Jordan won and things like that. And so it's just been a huge part of my life. So it's something that I still pay attention to nowadays, so I still feel a part of it. And it's really cool that sneakers and cleats and athletes wanting to wear custom shoes at the end of the day have just become so intertwined. And it's such a huge part of my life. It's been really cool to see it really grow year after year. Very cool. So how do you price this? We love to talk about money openly because it's just an odd thing for artists to share how much they make and all the things. But I love to ask those questions because that's what we're all wondering is how do you price per project? You say, I come to you and say, I want a custom pair of Jordans. How does that yep. start? <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad that you asked about a custom pair of Jordans because right away we have to talk about, okay, well, which type of Jordan do you want to do? Because right off the bat, we might end up using a $125 base shoe, or if you want something more rare or exclusive where we need to track down a different sneaker model on the secondhand market, because you can't just go and buy a Jordan 5 from three years ago with a unique colorway released, we might end up using a four to $500 base shoe to start before I even touch them. You know what I mean? So there's that as a starting point. And then from there, as you start to do more, you have a better concept for how long 
something's going to take you. You know what I mean? You start to think, okay, cool. I know what I'm going to do here. This is probably going to take me. You tell yourself as an artist, it's going to take me 20 hours. There's a good chance that's probably going to take you 60 at the end of the day, because that's just how it ends up going most of the time. But you have a good feel for what you think it might take, you know? So that's, that's usually how I describe it. I, I like to give the blanket statement, oh, it's kind of like a tattoo artist. You know what I mean? I need to know, are we doing a little flash tattoo or are you trying to get a full sleep done? What are we trying to do here? And um, a lot of times the consumer or the customer really doesn't know. And then you try to refer them to, I like to just refer to some of my past work. Okay, well, are you looking for something more along the lines of something like this? Okay, cool. That might be a 10 to 20 hour project for me. Or are you looking at something like this? Okay, that's going to be 50 to 100 hours. So huge range, but just if somebody reaches out to me out of the blue, hey, I'm looking to do a one-of-one project, usually I would say somewhere between 1,000 to 2,000. And even that's a really wide range, but there's a lot of factors that we have to consider. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So most people... They have you provide the shoe. They don't just ship you their own shoes that they have. Sometimes people do. Yeah. If I end up working with somebody who's, some people don't like this term, but a sneaker head, somebody who already has a ton of shoes, they might have a pair of shoes that's been sitting in their closet unworn for the last couple of years. And they say, okay, you know, let's talk about this idea I might have for these. Let's do that. You know, but if we're just talking a more traditional, let's say this started off as a white Air Force One, this is something that anybody could just pick up at the mall, you know, rather than you needing to go and do that, I can supply the shoe as well. So I've always said, I can't remember where I heard this, but some artists who do what I do will only take on projects where the customer provides the shoe. And funny enough, I can't remember where I heard this, and it wasn't even related to art, more business, but it was talking about not introducing friction into the transaction, okay? So the way that I've viewed that and and tried to incorporate that is... Whatever's going to make the transaction happen. So if I tell the consumer, the potential customer, you have to send me the shoe, one, they might not have it already. So then you have to wait on them to go and get it. This might be something that falls further down on their to-do list. Two, they might just forget to ship it. Three, they might just run into other things where, okay, I couldn't get to the post office or something came up, whatever the case is. So you're just, in my opinion, introducing a little bit of friction here and there where, okay, hey, if you're ready to pay today, sure, I'll spend a little bit of time needed to go and source the shoe for the sake of completing the sale. Because as an artist, we've all been there. We've all lost plenty of people have walked away from the project. And sometimes we don't have an answer why. You know what I mean? We don't always hear from the customer of why they walked away. I don't want that to be because there was something that I could have done if I just spent a little bit more time making sure we complete the transaction, you know? So true. Making it as easy as possible for them to do business yep. with you. Because I'm sure they have a bunch of questions. Just like I do. I'm like, how, even though I'm a muralist and I know how it works for me, like, how do you do it? <laughs> like, do you um, right. also, do you take a deposit? Yeah. So I usually just do full payment up front, just so oh. that I know that I'm... As an artist, if you can get that, that's the dream scenario. You know you're good to go if you have an established reputation and you're able to deliver and you know you're able to say, hey, it's going to take me, I have an eight to 10 week wait list of, you know, you're probably going to get a question after four weeks in, hey, how we doing? You're going to get a question after six weeks in, hey, how we doing? You're going to get a question, okay, it's eight weeks, are we close? You know what I mean? As long as you're able to deliver, you know, and you have a healthy reputation, then 
I haven't experienced a lot of people walking away from the transaction because of that. But it, there's definitely scenarios from time to time where maybe a customer will say, okay, well, can I do a 50% deposit up front? Then yeah, that's fine with me. But I just know I've spoken to tons of artists daily for the last however many years. And over and over and over again, you hear about, okay, yeah, I want to purchase these, but maybe you don't get any deposit up front or maybe you get 10% deposit up front and then you went out of your way to start doing all the design work, the mock-up work, going back and forth with them, sourcing the shoes, purchasing your supplies. You've already spent more than 10% of the potential profit here on this project. And then all of a sudden the client might just decide to not pay. So even with a, a 50% deposit up front, you know, there's still the chance that, okay, all of a sudden they might, you might not hear back from them. You know what I mean? So you're going to hear back from them if they've paid you a full deposit up front. You know what I mean? So I've just found that that's the best way for me as an artist. I know I'm good to go then at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I think it's a little bit of a luxury that we have when you already have that reputation and you have things to show. Whereas in the beginning, when you're maybe it's your first couple shoes, it's a lot harder to ask for a lot up front. So maybe if somebody's listening, like, oh, I, I love shoes, yeah. I love sports, I want to do this, I'm going to take full payment up front, maybe just take a smaller deposit up front, yep. right? Yep. And then work your way up. So I was looking at your Instagram profile and looking at all the super cool shoes that you have. And they're you. very impressive. They're very detailed and yeah, they're just very impressive. So everybody go check out. I'll have the link in the description. But there's this quote on here that says, the most important part of customizing sneakers is conveying the individual personality of the wearer. I love that because it is a commission. So how do you get that individual personality out of them? Yeah, I think that that's why... <laughs> Gosh, this is such an open-ended question. I have to take a slight detour first because I think it provides yeah. context. But I've been doing this, I think, 13 years now. And after a few years in, when it was, okay, hey, I'm starting to make a little bit of money here, but I don't know if it's really a business. I don't know if this could be a forever thing. You know, you're constantly trying, okay, which lane am I going to take? So an idea I had to expand was... I'm spending too much time, this is early on, my first three, four years, I'm probably spending too much time on lost clients where people would reach out and then the price would turn them away or the wait time or just the back and forth. So from somebody finding me to actually purchasing, it might be 10 emails, it might be a few mock-ups back and forth where maybe I haven't even taken a deposit to do any of the design work yet. And then all of a sudden, just at the last moment, they don't pull the trigger. So I said, okay, what if I try to create a website where I'm spending less time talking to the customer and they're just picking from my most popular designs and we'll change those every season, every three to six months or whatever. So if I release 12 to 15 designs at a lower price point to where they can just see the cool designs and purchase in their size... Could that be a way for future growth for me? And I did that for probably two to three years and sold insane amounts of quantities of shoes, but they were all such a low price point that then as an artist, my entire studio just turned into an assembly line. It was just a factory of cranking out these lower price shoes. So we said, let's go and let's not even work on the more exclusive Jordans unless somebody's willing to pay for those, but let's go and find your 75 to $100 shoes that anybody could buy at the mall and just make them a little bit cooler. 
You know what I mean? So, oh, there's an all white pair at the mall or there's a red pair, a pink pair, but maybe not something crazy. Let's make something crazy. So that worked for a while for us. But like I said, I certainly lost some of the joy as an artist just doing the same things over and over. And I realized, oh, okay, I enjoy this way more when I'm doing like one-of-one work or when I am actually talking to the customer and hearing what they actually like. And, oh, yeah, they're a huge mega fan of the Chicago Bulls and they want a Bulls pair or they're a huge fan of traditional Japanese tattoos and they want something like that on their shoes. That was way more fulfilling for me as an artist. So... I'm so glad that I spent that couple years trying that and seeing what it was like, just working on these cheaper models and trying to just mass produce. That was our goal. Let's really crank up our volume. But it wasn't as fulfilling as an artist. So you have to remind me again, remind me of the the question because I know I went off on the detour there and I know that that was going to provide some context. Oh, no, yeah, you're good. No, it's good to hear this insight too. That's such a great idea. So the one of ones, you you were quoted to say that your customization matches the personality of the customer. Yep, there it is. So for a couple of years, our goal was to spend less time talking to the customer, okay? It was, let's just put out cool enough shoes that people see, they click, they buy, we send. We don't really get to know them. They're just a name on the spreadsheet then. But now every client that I've had since I stopped doing that five, six years ago, I could tell you their name, what I made for them, probably their shoe size, how long the project took me, what I was watching, feeling at the moment during that project. And it's just, it's so much more fulfilling for me as an artist. And I feel fulfilling for them. So we have a slogan that we have is every shoe has a soul. And it's a play on the soul of shoes, but also soul because every pair that I do is a culmination of everything that I've ever learned doing this. You know what I mean? All of the techniques, all of the tips and tricks that I've learned along the way, I'm putting into every single shoe. And I truly, truly do try to make every single shoe the best one that I've ever done. Of course, any artist tries to make whatever project they're working on the best they've ever been. But that really is my goal with every single project that I take on. So yeah, I just feel that everything together, the price of this, it being an expensive luxury item, the conversation that I have to have back and forth with the customer, how long it takes, the presentation that I want to give them. I just want everything about it to be grand, a special experience for them that they'll remember. So I really want the piece that they get to be about their individuality, their personality. They feel they really spoke with an artist and and talked about exactly what they wanted on this pair of shoes. You know what I mean? So that's where, that's where that comes from. Awesome. Well, I can definitely tell that you are an educator. You're very well-spoken. So thank you. This is a great, yeah, you're, it's in efficient with it and everything. I think we've gotten so much, so much information just in this short amount of time, I guess, to wrap this up. Say somebody is listening and they're really wanting to do what you do. And so aside from, I mean, you guys should definitely go to Chicago and take your <laughs> course and do that. What's your biggest piece of advice for somebody just starting out? First piece of advice when starting out would just be to try and do a little bit of research about what you plan on working on. So first, just research the shoe that you want to do. Even if you haven't decided yet, do some research on what shoes what options do you have? You know what I mean? And then try to figure out what 
do I need to know about this shoe that I don't already know? So have I worked, maybe I'm an artist, but I haven't worked on leather before, or maybe I haven't worked on fabric before. What are the supplies I need to know about? What's the prep work like? How am I going to finish them? And what are some of those little tips and tricks that only an experienced artist would know? So, I mean, YouTube is an incredible free resource for whatever shoe you decide to work on. And there's, there's a lot of great pages outside of just mine that have tutorials on whatever shoe you might be working on. And then just really try to get a feel for, you know, what sort of art style you want to do. Do you want to start off simpler or are you on your very first pair going to try to paint some Disney characters or something like that, you know, and just understand that shoes, I believe, are actually a pretty tricky canvas to work on. So you're going to run into some headaches. It's not going to be as simple as just painting on a canvas. There's going to be little hiccups. There's going to be little things that you run into where you're going to want to scrap the project. But just know that it's okay. Your first pair doesn't have to be perfect. It shouldn't be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. So just continue to carry on and you'll get better with each one you do. So I think that something very early on that I feel like I'm seeing nowadays is, you know, this isn't just an art, but people want instant gratitude. You know what I mean? They want right away their first couple projects to all of a sudden turn into a business for them. And surely that can happen for some people, but for most people, it's going to take a lot of repetition and that's okay. You just have to get a lot more pairs under your belt because that's how you're going to learn. So when somebody just says, we put out a a tutorial, not necessarily a tutorial, but a video years back. And I think it was called something along the lines of four easy steps to start your sneaker customizing journey, I think is the title of the video. And in there, one of the things that I really recommend people do is just go and find old shoes that you might have laying around, work on those first, consider going to thrift stores, buy some practice shoes, and then just ask your friends and family, hey, can I make a pair of shoes for you? Just give me any shoe you have and I'll work on those. So you just provide the shoe for me and I'll do the artwork for you. And then now I can turn you into a walking billboard for me. And uh, hopefully you'll spread the word about me. You know what I mean? So I think that that is one of the best things that you can do early on is just find friends and family who are willing to support you, who think it's a cool, weird idea that you have to paint on shoes And, uh, you know, like I said, then all of a sudden they can advertise your work for you. That is a great point because with canvas artists, I mean, if somebody buys your framed canvas and hangs it in their home or in their bedroom, it's like, what what are the chances of someone coming over and seeing that friends and family, but you're walking, you are a walking billboard. So it's easier, I would say, I mean, quote, easier. Not that it's anything about any of this is super easy making it as an artist. But so is that how you get most referrals? Like you get customers who are wearing them in the mall and somebody comes up, it's like, hey, who did your shoes? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely still get that. And nothing like as an artist, you know this, nothing truly beats real word of mouth. Social media is great. You can impress people with really cool video tricks and impressive photos. But nothing will beat somebody telling you, I had a good experience with this artist. You know what I mean? So yeah, like I said, as much as fancy pictures and videos can help generate buzz for you and get people to discover you, nothing will convince them more than somebody saying, yeah, check these out that I got from this artist in Chicago and I had a great experience working with them. You know what I mean? Word of mouth is still a huge, huge part of our business. 
So true. Well, I'm excited to keep following you. I just just introduced you by Buffy again. Thanks so much, Buffy. Yeah, thanks, Buffy. And I'm excited to keep following you and just see your new creations and just see where all of it goes. And I suggest everybody listening do the same. We'll link your social medias in the description. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the backstory and tips about your business. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. I've been putting out at least one episode per week for more than four years on this podcast. And it's really cool to see those download numbers go up and up as time goes on. And that's because artists like you listen and share these episodes. So really, when I say thank you, I mean it. (laughs) It's really cool to see progress along the way. And anyway, if you like this type of art and business content, then I highly encourage you to get the audio version of my book, Mural Money, with over 15 hours of listening inspiration. I'm currently running a special of just $17 for the audio version. You can go to muralmoney.com to find it. And that comes with a bunch of extras like my art supply list, my pricing guide, recommended book and podcast list, and so much more. I filled that book with tips from my art journey of building a profitable mural career. Plus, I've included the best of the best advice from guests I've interviewed on this podcast. It's the most affordable all-in-one book of advice on art and business that I have. And if you enjoy listening to me here, then I know you'll like the book too because I read it myself all 15 hours of it. (laughs) The book is available on Amazon and Audible normally for $25, but if you go to muralmoney.com, that is where you can grab the special $17 deal while it lasts. If you haven't listened to my book yet, this is your sign to do it. Again, normally $25, running a special for $17, but you have to go to muralmoney.com. That's where you can grab the audio version of it. And that's all I have for you today. So I will see you next week for another episode of the Artist Academy podcast.